welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we have a very important and urgent uh, show. Um, The title of it is, Is America on the Brink of Civil War? And I'm sure this is something that you may have been wondering about yourself. Um, But fortunately, we have an expert to dissect the issue and um, tell us what to do about it. So America on the brink of civil war, how could this be? It's almost too surreal and scary to think about. Isn't the civil war something that happened in the history books? Why hasn't America learned from the bloodshed that went on back then? Then it was the North versus the South, but today it's the left versus the right. And the left are the ones who are provoking it. How, why? What can we do to stop it? These are the urgent questions that today's guest, Robert Spencer, will answer. He's warned us about it in his most recent book, which is entitled The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. And whether you are on the left or the right, you will want to know what's coming, because just like the original Civil War tore America to pieces, literally, Another one at this time in history would be even worse. So let me tell you about my guest before I introduce him. Robert Spencer is a very distinguished man to whom I owe my uh, work as the terrorist therapist. Um, I'll tell tell you a little bit more about that later. Um, He's the director of Jihad Watch and the author of over 25 books, many of which are bestsellers. For example, he's the best-selling author of The History of Jihad, The Palestinian Delusion, and Did Muhammad Exist, and The Critical Quran. He's led seminars for the FBI, the U.S. Central Command, the U.S. Army Command, and General Staff College, the Asymmetric Warfare Group, and the Joint Terrorism Task Force. And, of course, what he's going to be talking about primarily today is the Sumter Gambit. How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Well, welcome to the show, Robert. Uh, it's great to have you back. I have such incredible respect for you. Every day I read your um, Jihad Watch Daily Digest, and I think to myself um, how I wish, now I know, of course, you have a, a large number of subscribers and all that but i just every time i read it i think this is what people should be seeing you know um on on the television on the radio on on in newspapers people if people saw this every day they would realize what deep you know what we're in <laughs> and uh, and not because of the january 6th trespassers so um why don't you why don't you start and I, I towards the end of the show I do want to get to because you renamed I've been you know watching reading the jihad watch daily digest for years so um you I don't remember when it was but at some point you added to that J- jihad watch daily digest and you added and the left column so I'll want to talk a little bit about um 
why you added that, what the connection is, because it's very hard for people to, uh, some people, a lot of people, to understand the connection between the left and the radical Islamists. But why don't we start today with what your book is about and tell us why it is, well, first, actually, the title, for those who don't know what, uh, why you call it the Sumter Gambit, why don't we start with that? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, in the first place, of course, as you noted, the first civil war started in Fort Sumter in the harbor of Charleston, South Carolina in 1861. And it started after there was sort of a, a test of wills, a game of uh, chicken to some degree uh, between Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States, and the newly formed Confederate States of America. The Confederate States claimed Fort Sumter. They said this was part of the territory of the state of South Carolina, which was part of the new country, and thus it was not Union territory. And yet there were Union troops there, and they were running out of food. And so the South made it very clear to first the President James Buchanan and then to Abraham Lincoln, his successor, that if they reinforced the fort, it would be considered an act of war. And so the North had a dilemma. They could either accept Southern independence and surrender, in other words, the whole Southern part of the country, or reinforce the fort and start a civil war. And the left today is trying to force us into the same kind of dilemma that we either have to accept all their crazy agenda about trans kids and about uh, drag queens in public schools and all the rest of it, or else we have to fight back. Now, the fighting back, I am not advocating in the slightest degree anything illegal or violent, but any kind of resistance that we mount will be used by leftists as evidence that we are the traitors and insurrectionists that they make us out to be. So what that all comes down to is that they're trying to push us into a new Fort Sumter moment, into a moment that they can say, see, they are just what we say they are. They have destroyed the unity that we once had, and we have to crush them now because they are essentially insurrectionists who are rebelling against the lawful authority. And it's all just an excuse for their authoritarian crackdown that they really want to get started with. Uh, yes, well, okay. So that makes perfect sense. Um, what do you, do you think that, uh, I guess one of the biggest questions is, do you think that um, people who, you know, the people who don't want to give in to the left um, do you think that they have, after COVID and, and after all of the onslaughts that the left has already made, do we have the strength to rise up and do something? <laughs> well, I certainly do think so, yeah, that we uh, people always have, I'm sure you know, you've seen many examples of it as a psychologist, that the uh, the people under, have, have reservoirs of strength that they often are not even aware of themselves. Right. And I believe that very strongly about the strength of the American Republic, that there are 
people who understand how threatened it is, and even many who don't understand how threatened it is at this point, who will be energized to act in a positive way, here again, legally and nonviolently, in order to save it, once they recognize just how deeply it's threatened. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, to show the unity behind all the various different initiatives of the left. People don't usually understand that the drag queens and all that business is all part of the same initiative as their bogus insurrection narrative. It's all designed to make us confused, to make us think that we can't trust our own instincts, to make us dependent upon the government, to uh, undercut all other loyalties, and so on. Well, you know, do you think, though, that, um, I mean, it's all well and good to have some plans, and I'm going to want you to talk about some of the things that you're recommending and so on, but what happens if um, we, you know, go at this in these kinds of logical um, ways, forceful ways, um, but not, not force, like you were saying, no violence and so on, but what happens if the left comes back? I mean, you know, we saw in the summer of 2020, the, the so-called peaceful protests of Black Lives Matter. What happens if with whatever we do, you know, nicely and, and uh, in a civil way, that they come back with these kinds of protests and looting and so on? They will. And we have to keep coming. And eventually, if we do keep coming and persist, they're not going to be able to continue to stand up. But they're counting on that's violent intimidation they're counting on being able to bully us into submission so we have to refuse to be bullied and that will take courage that will be difficult because it will entail some sacrifice on the behalf of people who end up sometimes quite accidentally on the front line i'll give you a very very specific example you had the critical race theory which is just a recipe for racial hatred and divisiveness being pushed even at the lowest levels in American public schools. And you also had the drag queens coming in and doing these suggestive and sexualized performances in front of the youngest children at places like public libraries and so on. And so a group of parents began, and this was actually not one group, but many groups of parents began to protest all over the country at school board meetings. These were peaceful, nonviolent protests within the bounds of the Constitution and the right to assemble and so on. And all of them were designed to resist the agenda that the left is pushing upon our schools and other public institutions. In response, the politicized and weaponized, desperately corrupt FBI actually started in terrorism investigations against these parents for daring to do go so far as to protest at these school board meetings. Now, this is where it really becomes important to keep appearing there. And this is what I unfortunately have not heard, and I hope that this will turn around. But after we heard that the Biden administration, or really the regime, was putting parents under terrorism investigations for protesting at school board meetings, we stopped hearing about school board protests. That's just the opposite of what we should have done. 
there should have been all the more school board protests and so many school board protests that they couldn't possibly keep up terrorism investigations against everybody uh -huh. who's out there. It's the same thing, actually, you know, I've been dealing with Islamic Jihad for many years, and the Islamic Jihadis still get all riled up if you draw Muhammad and depict Muhammad in human form, even though he's supposedly just a human being. And they're, they go on murderous rages and kill innocent people if you draw Muhammad. So there was a cartoonist a few years back in 2015 or 14 who said, we'll have, uh, I'm calling an everybody draw Muhammad day. Yeah. <laughs> everyone does it. They can't kill everyone in the whole world. And was that was Where was this? Was this in France? No, this was in the United States. This was online, really. It was an online thing. And it's another tragic story because of the fact that people did not stand up. But I'm hoping that this will turn around. And I have endless hope in the in the in the ultimately in the decency and the courage of the people. But this was a cartoonist, Molly Norris, in Seattle. And she drew this thing. It was whimsical, really. She didn't really intend to start a movement okay. or become some kind of uh critic of Islam, but she just uh, drew this little thing, everybody draw Muhammad Day, and reasoning quite soundly that they couldn't kill everyone, and if we stood up to them, then the violent intimidation and bullying would stop. Yes. And she was threatened and went into hiding. She's never been heard from again. Really? Change her identity, because the threats were so severe, and the FBI advised her just to disappear. And uh, that's just the opposite here again of what should have happened. Everybody should have drawn Muhammad, or at least enough people. If there's hundreds of thousands of Salman Rushdies, they're not going to be able to kill them all. Right. And here, this is the 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 kind of peaceful, nonviolent movement that I do. I'm I'm convinced would prevail if we had the people who were courageous enough to stand up. The problem with standing up is that if you stand up, you might be one of the first to get struck down. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, life has never been a guarantee. Comfort and ease have never been guaranteed. And there have to be some people willing to step out in courage or all is lost. Um, yes, I, I totally agree. Um you know, you're making me think of my my terrorism books when I, you know, uh, I mean, sometimes I haven't had any threats, but um, that I know of, but um, there might be a fatwa out on me that I don't know about. But in any case, yes, and you, of course, you know, for all your years of of uh, uh, work doing terror, book upon book and speech upon speech and everything else, um. You know, with with the Civil War, and I'm not great in my Civil War history, but it, with the Civil War, um, I'm wondering how long it took for the South to get to the point of making that threat that if you um, reinforce the fort, that, you know, this will be an act of war, as compared to how long it's been um, for that um that the left has been threatened beginning the threats you know building up to make this, this the parallel kind of threat as you were describing it um in regard to the a, a new civil war 
That's an interesting question, actually. It was really building right from the beginning. Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote the first draft of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, which is, what, 61, 85 years before the Civil War started, uh, you have an anti-slavery section that the others decided was best to take out. There were many of the founding fathers who were against slavery, but they also thought that it was important to stand together against the British, and so they weren't going to push the South on that point. Hmm. When the Constitution was framed and implemented in 1788 or 89, it was there was a clause in there that there would be no more slaves brought into the United States. I believe it was after 1808, if I recall correctly. And the uh, there was a balance, a rough balance between the electoral power of the states in the North that were against slavery and the states in the South that were in favor of it. The problem began really with the expansion of the United States. When Thomas Jefferson bought the Louisiana from Napoleon in 1803, it wasn't actually Louisiana the way we think of it as the state of Louisiana, but a massive territory from which many, many of the modern states of the United States were taken. And there was a big argument over whether slavery would be legal there or not. And there were several compromises made. In 1820, there was the Missouri Compromise. And then in 1850, there was the aptly named Compromise of 1850. And they were attempts to uh, placate both sides by dividing up the country, essentially, and having slavery be legal in one section and not. Mm -hmm. And so you could say that the Civil War was brewing for a very long time. And actually, the pretext for the beginning of the Civil War before the actual firing on Fort Sumter was the election of Abraham Lincoln as president of the United States, because Lincoln was a member of the Republican Party, which had been founded just a few years before that in order to oppose slavery mm -hmm. and with the avowed purpose of ultimately outlawing slavery. But Lincoln did not want did, was not saying, if I become president, I'm going to outlaw slavery. He couldn't say that because of the what was in the Constitution. But he did want to outlaw the spread of slavery in the new territories. And the South was desperately threatened by that and thought that ultimately they would be overwhelmed in terms of political power and that the delicate balance that had been maintained all that time, half slave and half free in the House of Representatives and the Senate would be upset. And so they thought that it was an intolerable situation and the war started. So the point really in telling you all that is just to say it was a long time coming, the Civil mm -hmm. War. And there were many things that happened that were signposts along the way. And it's the same time, same thing here now. The The conflict is likely coming. I hope we can avoid it. But certainly there have been many signs of its be of its brewing for decades now. Interesting, interesting parallels. Well, we need to take a break. Um, my guest is Robert Spencer. We're talking about is America on the brink of civil war? And we will get back to that when we come back. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Follow 
Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about is America on the brink of civil war? And the answer is yes. <laughs> and my guest, Robert Spencer, is telling us all about it. Um, there's so much to talk about. Uh, of course, his book is called The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. And you just heard the explanation for that title. Um, also, I love his dedication uh, of the book. It's dedicated to every sane American who wonders what happened. Um, and that's kind of, that <laughs> certainly uh, describes me because as I was talking during the break, um, it just seems like that some of these changes that you've begun to mention and, you know, the things like uh, CRT and the statue toppling and the, the looting and all of these things that the left is doing, the um, election, uh, um, cheating and so on and so forth. Um, it seems like these things just kind of popped up in the last, let's say three years. And of course that didn't happen because it took time. Like for example, for teachers to get people to become teachers and get into the schools, um, as where they're teaching all of these kinds of things, teaching kids to be trans, convincing them to become trans and all of that. And we saw what happened, uh, with the, um, 
young woman who became trans in Nashville. Obviously, that didn't go too well. Um, and so, so it took time for the these this um, this force, this amount of people, this this negative force to build up. How is it that we didn't see it? How did this happen? How was this happening insidiously for all these years? And now we're like waking up to it. Well, I think that it's clear that what's going on nowadays is orchestrated, that some person or group is behind it. And I don't want to speculate as to who that might be because I don't know. And uh, I'm not going to get involved in some crazy conspiracy theory or accuse someone falsely. But I think that it's obvious just from the nature of the case, as you noted, that all these things are just happening all at once that somebody is calling the shots and saying, now it's time that we all go out and topple statues, or now it's time that we'll unleash all the drag queens and every public school all over the place. It's not just one here and one there, but suddenly drag queens are the uh, uh, flavor of the moment and everybody's got to have them around. Um, I mean, whoever, I, I, I don't even know people who paid attention to drag queens. Right. Before. Where did this come from? And I think it's it's very clear somebody decided this was going to be the next step. But when you look into history, it's clear that all this started in the 1960s and that the seeds of it go back farther. But in the 1960s, you have the hippies and the anti-war movement, the Vietnam War, uh, anti-Vietnam War movement. And the first thing that they did was occupy the offices of college administrators and uh, demand various changes in the curriculum or various other things. And it was very clear quite early on that this was a pointless exercise in virtue signaling that didn't get them anywhere. And so the campus leftists, the hippies of the 60s, actually made a conscious decision to undertake what one of them, Rudy Dutschke, called the long march through the institutions. And the long march through the institutions was just that. It was an avowedly Marxist program. The long march comes from Chairman Mao in China when he only, he was in one part of the country and the nationalists controlled the great bulk of the country and he began the long march. And that was the slow and steady inexorable advance until finally he was able to enter Beijing and topple the government and start his own communist state, which still, of course, is in place and is now a very formidable power. The uh, Long March is their model for what they did in the educational system, hmm. in the government, in the media, and even in the entertainment industry that you first you have one one person who gets a job mm. say as a professor and then he recommends his friend for the next opening and then the after a while they they're the hiring committee and then they hire only people who are like them and pretty soon every university in the country is just a leftist indoctrination center and why didn't we notice? Well, that's a very good question. We should have noticed that this was going on and should have stood up to it. But they've also had a, a very sophisticated campaign of deception going. And part of it was to heap ridicule 
upon the people who actually called them out and to scorn them as crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy theories theorists as racists and bigots as homophobes or islamophobes or whatever phobe and discredit them not by actually showing that what they were saying was false but just by making it toxic for most people who are conformists as as a psychiatrist i said psychologist before mm -hmm. but i know you're a psychiatrist i'm sure you you deal with this all the time that people are imitative and they want to do what other people are doing and they want to be in the group and not outside the group and so it's very disconcerting if you're in some group and you end up being isolated you know that's one of Saul Alinsky's tactics in rules for radicals that you isolate a target well why is that so effective because people want to be in the crowd they want to be in the group they want to be accepted by everyone people say hey you know it's good to see you you're part of our group mm -hmm. and we're happy that you're here with us and we're all together here and instead you cut them off and they have nothing and no one and everyone shuns them and they're and meanwhile the, the people in the group are laughing at you and acting and calling you an idiot very few people can withstand this it's a very very formidable potent weapon that has not really been fully understood and yet it's right there in rules for radicals ridicule and isolation are among the most powerful tools that the left employs and so when people called attention to this i mean i remember look um i was no less susceptible to this than anybody else and i was a communist when i was in college uh worked at the communist the the marxist leninist maoist bookstore uh, <laughs> while i was in college and i remember actually in the library one day the the university library coming across a book in the stacks that was actually called why colleges breed communists huh. now i was a perfect example of that because i wasn't a, a leftist when i went into college but i very quickly became one because I, I wanted to be in the group with the leftists they were the coolest people mm -hmm. they were the most interesting people there was a girl there i was interested in <laughs> all these things coming together and so I actually checked that book out and took it back to show the people I lived with. Ha ha ha, look at this, how funny this is. And yet I didn't even realize, I had no self-awareness or sense of irony and had no idea that I was actually an example of what that book was talking about. Oh, wow. And so, you know, um, this kind of thing happens to people all the time, every day that I see that I, I see people doing it on Twitter, you know, and they say, uh, Spence, you, you know, I report some news because I still have Jihad Watch, still report on Jihad activity. And it's mostly Europe and Africa and Asia that I'm reporting on these days. And I quite often I hear from people who say, you know, Spencer, he's a racist, bigot, Islamophobe. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else will say well it doesn't matter what the source is it's the news and then they just keep on saying you're 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 dealing with unreliable sources well actually i'm very careful and scrupulous in what i report and it is accurate but they know that if they can shame the person for quoting me or for invoking me as an authority then they can get him or her to back off of the point they were actually trying to make uh-huh so uh -huh. magnify this 
by millions and millions. And you have how the left took over. Cancel culture. Yeah, sure. Cancel culture is a is a very good example. And the dry run was done on us, the people who were called Islamophobes after 9-11. And saying that Islam was not a religion of peace was the first thing that got the left to 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 say you were evil. And you know, you still you 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 search for my name or other people's names on Google, and the first thing that comes up is the Southern Poverty Law Center with its un, uh, with its hit piece on us. And okay. then conservatives, because they are not very courageous and not very insightful, see that the left has demonized somebody, and instead of standing up for them, they say, "Well, this is not worth the trouble. I'm going to go with somebody who's safer." Hmm. So they end up getting you to back off of controversial issues. Now, I'm talking about this in the context of Islam and jihad, because that's been my own experience. But it's you can you can find this in every field. And when it comes to politics, the same thing has been done to Trump supporters, that Trump is this is this egomaniacal. Well, he may well be that. But uh, <laughs> this insurrectionist, this this maniac who is out of control and wants to destroy the constitution and rule as a dictator. And how could you support that? And then, and people get embarrassed and yeah. start backing off instead yes, of saying, yes. well, wait a minute, you know, what, what's the actual substance? It takes a lot of time and trouble and effort to rebuke, to, to refute the January 6th big lie and to show there was no insurrection and that Trump didn't incite a thing and to show that all the rest of it is lies. You know, you know what people, the old expression is, you know, you throw enough stuff at the uh -huh. wall. It's something, stick. something sticks. That's how the left wins. They th keep throwing all this stuff and people get tired. They can't clear it all away. Well, that's part of why I was asking you at the beginning about whether we, uh, you know, whether we do have the energy to or the will or, you know, all the different qualities that you need yeah. to to fight back. I, um, your point. I also think, well, you know, uh, I'm going to keep thinking we do because the alternative is too terrible. Well, to that's think. right. And I do also seriously think that if enough people become aware of what is going on in all this, then they will begin to stand up. Yes, yes. Now, I know um, we're kind of, there's like four minutes till the next break. God, this is going so quickly. Um, I know you wanted to talk about Biden's September 1st, 2022 speech. Do you want to start it at all now? or? Uh, that was a fascist speech. Now, Biden calls us fascists, but he's the fascist. Now, is this just empty name calling on both sides it is not you have to understand what a fascist really is and people don't know this they throw the word around and i'll bet nine out of the ten people who throw the word around don't know what it means yeah fascism is an authoritarian form of government and it is very much like communism which is another authoritarian form of government even though they're often represented as being complete opposites and the word fascist comes from a Latin word, fasces, F-A-S-C-E-S, which means bundles. So a fascist is a bundleist. Now, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> it's like on the dollar bill. You see the American Eagle, and the American Eagle is holding a couple of bundles of arrows. 
Those are fascists. And so is it a fascist symbol on the on the US dollar? Yeah. It's not, but the sentiment is the same. A pluribus unum, out of many one. And the idea is if you have one stick, it's easy to break. But if you bundle all the sticks together, you can't break them. Yeah. And so in unity, there's strength. Now, what does this have to do with fascism? It's like this. Communism seizes all the means of production and everybody works for the government because the government's the only thing that owns anything. And so everybody rents a house from the government and has a government job. That's communism. In fascism, there is still free enterprise, supposedly, but all the corporations do what the government wants. They're still privately owned, but they do whatever the government wants. They're all bundled together so they don't break. And that's what we have in the United States today. It's a fascist state. Hmm. Because we have Twitter. Twitter, not so much anymore with Elon Musk, but with the Twitter files, we saw the Biden administration working with the social media giants to silence dissidents. And that's corporate fascism. That's the, the, the government working with ostensibly private corporations to silence citizens and to enforce only one point of view being allowed. That's fascism. That And the, the corporations are privately owned, but they march in lockstep with the government. And so we have a fascist regime in the United States right now. Hmm. And if we are aware of that, then we can start to deal with how to fix it and how to get rid of it. But first, we have to understand that that's what it is. Ah. Well, uh, helping us to understand that is uh, you <laughs> giving these explanations and writing this book, which is, by the way, The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment, foment a Civil War. My guest is Robert Spencer. We're talking about Is America on the Brink of Civil War? When we come back, um, I'd like to talk to you about what some of the suggestions are that you have that we do about it. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get right back into this with my guest, Robert Spencer. We're talking about Is America on the Brink of Civil War? And his book is Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. So I know you want to continue with um, Biden's speech and how this how this was sort of an announcement, I guess, you're going um, to how, how we are a fascist state. Yeah, uh, Biden in that speech said Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent a threat to the very foundations of the republic. Now, there has never been an American president before in the history of the United States who ever said that his principal opponent and the primary political group that was opposed to him was a threat to the republic itself. This is a first. Uh, You might be able to find Abraham Lincoln saying that about Jefferson Davis and the Confederates, but not about not one American president saying that about the American candidate who is going to likely going to oppose him. Mm-hmm. And so what we had in this is something that has its parallel, not in American history, but in German history, when there was the Reichstag fire in 1933 and Adolf Hitler blamed the Communist Party and outlawed the Communist Party. And that gave him a majority in the Congress, the Reichstag, that enabled him to get his enabling act, which made him a dictator. He had to, it was a provision in the Weimar Republic's constitution that the the chancellor could be given dictatorial powers in an emergency if it was voted on in the Reichstag. And the communists opposed it, so he got rid of them that way and then got his dictatorial powers. Now, this is the same kind of thing. January 6th is the Democrats' Reichstag fire, and they're trying to use it to do nothing less than criminalize dissent. Mm-hmm. And his speech saying that the MAGA Republicans are a threat to the very foundations of the Republic is signaling the next shoe to drop in that is to make it a criminal act to be a MAGA Republican. And don't kid yourself, that is coming. Uh, it, he has to go slower than Hitler did because we do have a lot of opponents in the United States. A lot of, He does have a lot of opposition. And a, there's a democratic tradition here that they never had in Germany. But that's the direction this regime is moving in. There's an there's a, an abundance of evidence of that. For example, the disinformation governance board they tried to put in last year. Many many other acts against the freedom of speech, and there will be more coming. Uh, and a good example of what you're talking about is the imminent, perhaps, arrest of Trump. Yes, for this yeah. trumped up charge of uh, with Storm, Stormy Daniels. Yeah, uh, it's in it's in banana republics, as many people have pointed out, that the president arrests his leading opponent. And to arrest him for the Stormy Daniels thing is especially crazy, 
because in the first place, paying hush money is not illegal. In the second place, she even denies that they had any affair in a 2018 letter, although she seems to have gone back on that now. That's really neither here nor there. I mean, who cares really if he did or not? But, um, you know, maybe Melania does. Yes, I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, uh, I I went through the presidency of Bill Clinton, and I just can't imagine people being upset about this. Uh -huh. And the idea that it's a criminal offense is very, very dubious. It's a misdemeanor at best that the Manhattan prosecutor is trying to make into a felony with a novel interpretation of the law. Now, that's on, on that basis, you're going to arrest the former president of the United States, who's the leading front runner to defeat the president in 24. It's clearly politically motivated, and it would be tremendous damage to America as a free society if it happens. And leftists should understand this if they actually did have any concern to preserve America as a free society, but they don't. So why don't you tell us some of the things that you recommend for how we can fight back against this? We have to fight back in every possible way we can on the smallest possible levels, wherever we are. And so that means that if your kid is in school and the school does something, you have to stand up and be the one who makes a fuss about it and understand that nobody's going to do this for us. We can't, this is not the kind of war where we can think, well, our army will beat their army. We're the army. And so we have to be ready to become activists in whatever context that may present itself in our own particular situations, but not be cowed or intimidated or frightened into just acquiescing and accepting it as all too often we have, as we discussed early in the hour. Well, you know, one of the things that's a positive, of course, is the um, the fact that since we have the Republicans have taken the House and um, we have a strong leader there, um, you know, there is some positive movement. And I think when people see that, it gives everybody hope like, oh, look, you know, we're we're not the downtrodden. Look, we can do all these things. We can start reversing things. Yes. Um, so. Now, I do want to get into what I mentioned at the beginning about um, about the Jihad Watch Daily Digest becoming and the left column. Tell yeah. people about, well, first of all, and, and there was a, um, a story, the original cancel culture happened when you spoke truth about radical Islam. So, um, so why did you add, what is the connection between um, uh, Jihad or uh, radical Islam and the left? There are a lot of connections. One is they do have an alliance and they have an alliance because they see the world the same way. They're both authoritarians. They both hate dissent. They both want to crush it violently. And so they're sort of uh, blood brothers in this regard. They see the uh, existence of other points of view as an affront not as a possibility for diversity or something of that kind that the left claims to admire. Um, Islam lends itself to authoritarianism. There has always been, there have always been authoritarian regimes in Islamic countries with the notable and sole exception of Turkey. But Turkey became a republic only when it actually rejected political Islam not when it was following the tenets of Islam. And so 
Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, is supposed to have said, obey your ruler, even if he is an Ethiopian with a head like a raisin. A lot of people quote that because it's such a racist statement. And I understand that. That's a perfectly uh, reasonable point to make from it. But the point I want to make now from it is that he's saying he's trying to think of the most outlandish ruler he can. And that's why he mentions the Ethiopian and saying, obey your ruler, even in this extreme situation. And so Islam lends itself to authoritarianism on that basis. And this is why the left, which is fundamentally authoritarian and wants to destroy the freedoms that we enjoy in the United States, is completely happy with Islam and happy to see Islam spread. Uh, they know they can't stamp out religion. The Marxist regimes tried to do that before and failed. And so they're happy to promote one of the religions, the one that allows for authoritarian docility. And so in terms of Jihad Watch, I was seeing that that aspect of the encroachment upon our freedoms was a much more urgent problem in America today than the Jihad. Uh, there are still Jihadis in the United States, and they're still acting, and we report on them when they are found out or perpetrate something. Uh, but they're not the primary threat that we face right now to our freedoms. The primary threat that we face right now to our freedoms comes from the left. And so I thought I would broaden out the focus of Jihad Watch just a bit to show the connection between the left and Islam and how our freedoms are indeed being so severely threatened by the left today. You know, um, it, it's it's done relatively subtly. I mean, this connection between the two groups who both have the aim to destroy America Um they they kind of are keeping it on the down low because I think people would be shocked. Like you know, <laughs> your average Democrat, for example, um, not that not that all Democrats are 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 um, extreme leftists, but people don't don't connect, um, don't think of themselves. Democrats don't think of themselves as connected in any way with radical Islamists or jihadists. Um, and and yet that is a very dangerous kind of um uh connection you, you know that's that, that it's more the two of them together are more dangerous obviously than either one alone and um and that's why i wanted to you to make um you know to bring that out well, that... you know may not think of themselves as connected to radical islamists or jihadists but actually if you ask the average leftist do you support Ilhan Omar hmm. and Rashida Tlaib? They'd say, oh, yeah, sure, of course. Are you upset about Islamophobia and want to stamp it out? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they don't realize that those things are enabling of the global jihad, that you have Ilhan Omar uh, talking to the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which is linked to Hamas, which is a violent jihad group killing Israeli civilians and uh, talking with the president of Turkey, who says to the Taliban that there's no difference between our Islam and your Islam. And so uh, they may not think they support jihad, but they really uh -huh. do. Uh -huh. Yes, and that is um, that is a growing uh, danger, you know, that um, this whole idea of Islamophobia, this whole increase in... in um, fighting against so-called Islamophobia, you know, so that is something that has to be 
looked out for uh in other words if you if you like all the work that you do and and um you know some of the work that i do um trying to inform people about radical islam and and the dangers and what's going on and all of that um uh you know that can, that gets to be easily called oh you must be uh you're islamophobic look at you know you, why are you talking about all these things um these are very <laughs> these are very um nice people or <laughs> whatever you want to say um you know and without without there is so much denial about the danger the ongoing danger we are in i know you know this of course but we are in more danger now in terms of 9-11 than we were at the time of 9-11 um and yet there's so much uh, denial about all of that as you well know well i want to make sure we're running out of time and i want to make sure that i give some information about my guest um again the his book is called sumter gambit how the left is trying to foment foment a civil war and um his wonderful uh jihad watch well if you go to jihadwatch.org you can sign up for the D jihad watch daily digest and the left column um and find out things that are happening it, it I, I always marvel about how you know about all these things you know all over the world um that are going on where i again where i think to myself what i said at the beginning where i think to myself if people knew that all of these things were happening all over the world you know the terrorists have not gone away they're not sleeping they're doing all of these things and um and they're going to be doing them in america uh again soon too um so i hope people will will both buy the book and go to your um website uh do you did i do you, want, do you want to say something in the two minutes that we have left well, that I, I looked out? Minute. Too, too few people have the courage to discuss these things. So thank you for very invigorating discussion. I much appreciate it. And I hope that it will lead a lot of people to decide to become activists in a positive, peaceful, and legal way and fight back against all this. Amen. <laughs> yes, I agree. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing wisdom. And um, I hope everyone will, um, will uh, you know, go get your book and go join the, the Get the Daily Jihad Watch. Um, so thank you all for listening. Uh, of course, thank you, Robert Spencer. Uh, may you continue to write a million books that, and that are bestsellers. And um, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.